Hi there, and you're very welcome to another episode of Get Around To It. I'm Lauren Murphy. And I'm Eva Barry. If you've listened before, you'll know what we're all about. But if you're tuning in for the first time, you could probably best explain Get Around To It as an arts and culture podcast that isn't necessarily focused on covering what's new, basically. So every month we chat about the music, the TV, the film and the books that we've been enjoying recently. And while some of it's new and upcoming, some of it's also older stuff that we've either recently discovered or have recently got around to but want to share with you basically. I hope you've all been well. Sorry for the delay since the last episode. We've both had some life stuff going on but we hope you've been enjoying the recent heat wave. How have you been Aoife? Yeah I think um, like maybe enjoying the heat wave is probably the wrong word for me as someone who tends to get like prickly heat the minute the temperature goes above 20 degrees um, but yeah I feel like even though we haven't obviously like you said got to record something in a while there's been so much good stuff out there and uh, been watching a lot of TV shows which has been great a lot of stuff that's like been excellent like up there with my favorite things from the last few years so I've been enjoying that Um got into the sea did a bit of sea swimming um well okay I say sea swimming what I mean is dipping myself into the <laughs> sea for 10 minutes which is uh which is actually what I was doing got a bit of that done and um been clearing out my house for a house move and um donating a lot of books so and finding books that I meant to read one day and I've not got around to yet so I might have a bumper episode of that coming up <laughs> If we get around to it. Look forward to that. But speaking of bumper episodes, we actually have one this month because, as you said, there's been a lot of great TV on and I've got some old TV stuff to talk about later as well. And because we've both been consuming a lot of stuff over the last few months, I guess we have a lot to talk about. So without further ado, shall we get cracking? Let's get cracking indeed. Cool. Will, will we start with film this month? Yeah, let's do it. And I think what's interesting is you've got a trilogy and I've got one film that are all kind of connected to horror. Yeah, well, as you know yourself, I'm a big fan of horror films to such an extent that I literally watch any old shite if it seems half decent. I've watched a few on Netflix recently that I just wanted to to talk about. The first one, I guess, is the Fear Street trilogy which is the trilogy that you mentioned there. And it's a really clever idea by Netflix. Three films that are all interconnected. They've all put them online throughout the month of July with a a space of a few weeks between them all. And it's based on a book series by R.L. Stein, who is the Goosebumps author. I don't know if you read them as a teenager or a young adult. I did yeah not like all of them or anything but I did go through a little phase I remember um oh it's gone out of the name gone out of my head but I remember a few of them I think there's one called the babysitter yes. I think that I read um there was always ones you know they always involved teenagers hanging out in beach towns or like really like out of the way suburban areas and lots of gross and scary things happening but they're really good though they're yeah, really crap definitely like I was obsessed with those point horror point horror books point yeah point horror loved and point he horror wrote books. a few yes, of them yes, but yes. he also wrote this uh, fear street trilogy and so you can kind of you know immediately lower your expectations and i don't mean that in a sneery snobby way but just <laughs> that those books were largely targeted at young adults and teenagers so you know yeah. fear street i guess is a trilogy. The first one is set in 1996 where we learn that this fictional town of shady side has been plagued by this supposed curse that causes its murder rate to be incredibly high. And legend has it that it stems back to this 17th century witch called Sarah Fear, who has this grip on this town. And we learn about the legend. And the first film is basically very much a Scream-style slasher. It's kind of watchable nonsense is the best way to put it. But it's, it's intriguing enough to see how the rest of the series pans out. So I kind of like, I watched the first one, I was like, 
it's grand, like it's grand. Maybe it'll get better. In the second film, we go back to 1978 to this summer camp called Camp Nightwing, which was the location of this massacre of teenagers and camp counsellors. So very much, you know, Friday the 13th vibes. Um, but the problem with I had with the second one was that, well, the first one at least had enough action and horror and a great soundtrack, in fairness, it must be said. There was a lot of good 90s songs in the first one. Um so many needle drops in the in it the first really in the first film. It was like, I mean, the amount of money they must have had in that yeah. budget for like licensing, I I can't even imagine. Like like the sync deals going on there were something wild. Absolutely, I think. and and in fairness, the 1978 version has some well known songs in a soundtrack as well. That's probably the best thing I could actually say about it because, you know, the first film had had action and horror to be deemed a horror film, but the second one was really slow. And the balance of the backstory and the horror was all off. So my suspicions were kind of raised at this point going into the third one. But, you know, the third one is divided into two parts. Um, First, we go back to 1666 to witness firsthand what this supposed witch Sarah feared that, that has supposedly cursed the town of Shadyside. Her story. Um, and then the second part, we return to 1996 to take up where the first film left off. So... I had really high hopes for this installment because as disappointing as the second one was, I love folk horror and especially, you know, witch trial stuff and films like The Witch and all that sort of stuff. But it was such a big letdown and not to mention some really dodgy Irish accents. Bad, bad, bad. So, you know, the whole thing, it was... I guess it's an interesting experiment for Netflix. Like I love that there was a linked film coming every week or two. It really gave you a purpose of having something to watch on Netflix. And, you know, we know as well as anybody else that there's nothing worse than scrolling through Netflix, trying to find something to watch. So I just felt like it was a little bit let down by the storyline. It was really weak in parts and and really convoluted in other parts. Um, so I haven't read the books, so I don't know how faithful the films are to the books or whether the story works better as a book series. But either way, it was just a little bit disappointing. So not the worst horror trilogy, not the worst horror films on Netflix by any means, but there's some terrible stuff on Netflix at the same time. But there is also plenty better. So mm. maybe maybe my age group, maybe maybe it just doesn't appeal to my age group, but, you know, or my 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 taste in horror, but... It it just seemed a little bit disappointing. Was it a case of kind of style over substance, you think? I mean, I, I enjoyed what I saw of the first, I saw most of the first one. Um, I enjoyed I enjoyed what I saw, but I definitely got that feeling that you had as well, where it's like, it is, you know, um, enjoyable film for like, you know, being very entertaining and like very stylish, you know, tr- really kind of hitting all the marks in terms of like, this is set in the 1990s, mm. but was missing maybe just a little special something like that. It was very stylish, but missing that little special thing definitely like like you said style over substance it was missing the substance it was missing I don't know whether the the storyline actually probably I was going to say the acting without they're all basically unknown to me actors anyway they're all kind of new and young actors but um yeah I mean watch it if you're if you're absolutely desperate for 
some horror films, but just lower your expectations. That's all I'd say. Watch it if you want to like scroll through your phone, maybe while having something exactly. on, on the background. It's one of those one sorts of, those of or it's three of those sorts mm-hmm. of films. Um, as well, I, I talked about this on um, culture, the culture slot and the Claire Byrne, uh, today with Claire Byrne on RTE as well. Um, I hadn't seen, obviously I haven't seen the other two. I was only talking about the first one. And uh, just when I was doing my research for it, it was uh, saying in the, in the kind of info about the, the series that they're loosely, that they're based, not loosely based, but they're based on the Fear Street series by Oral Stein. But like, they're kind of a new story, if you get me, or they're, they're about like, so if they've been created oh, okay. based on it. So, right. you know, I mean, I suppose from reading him, he always had a really good grasp of like plot and narrative, even if it was like really mm. obvious. And maybe you actually are missing that in with this because at the end of the day it doesn't matter how good your film looks if there isn't a really interesting plot or if it doesn't make sense or the narrative is a bit odd you will lose the viewer's interest I think at a certain point definitely that makes complete sense then yeah but um that's enough about Fear Street anyway let's move on to something that was actually enjoyable <laughs> another Netflix thing that you have to talk about actually yeah I actually do have a Netflix um I'm going to talk about Bo Burnham's um Netflix special inside but actually what i think i'll do before i chat about that is give a very brief mention of another horror film and it's called censor have you heard about this at all oh this is the uh, well is it irish i know neve algar who's an irish actress is in it right yes she is so she's in it she's the main character in it but it's directed by i think it's a welsh director called prano bailey bond um and neve algar like i was saying is is a main character in it a, a woman called enid and it also stars michael smiley who the fantastic michael smiley who is from belfast so there is an irish edge to it and also there uh, i think the the woman who plays Enid's mother is Irish too because Enid's accent is kind of Irish English in it so there is there is like a perhaps um subtle to a point Irish Irish influence in it but yeah so it's a horror film it is set in the mid 1980s and it's set around a particular period of time that was really interesting for culture in Britain and because it was when people were really obsessed with these video nasties now we would have been going very young when this is going on but do you remember that like term video nasty Mm, I do yeah yeah, so they were like these, as the name suggests, really gory, gross, grisly horror films. And there was a bit of a crackdown on them. And this is under Margaret Thatcher's reign of Britain and um, the kind of censorship um, bureau, I suppose, of um, cinema was set up in uh, the UK around that time. And I think it's actually changed its name now. It's not called anything to do with like censorship Um at the time, sorry, it was called the British the British Board of Film Censorship, but it's it's the British Board of Classification now, which gives you an idea of how things have changed. So in this film, Neve Algar plays Enid, who is a film censor. So she's one of the people who sits down and watches all of these films. And the, the films that she is watching um, through all of the making of this are those video nasties, like those really gross films. So you get from the get-go like really grisly really disgusting like people being like drilled into their faces and like heads cut off and blood everywhere um clips from these movies that she's watching so now i'm as i've mentioned many times on this podcast i'm very squeamish so (laughs) like i did force myself to watch some of the bits of this and they were done in that way where like you know i was watching suspiria the other night and like suspiria is very like grisly but you still know that it's like it's so schlocky you know that it's not real you know so they kind Mm. of all have that kind of feel to them um so she has this job she has to sit watching these disgusting videos and you do get the feeling like that it's having some sort of an impact on her um at the same time you get the sense as well it's quite an overt sense really that 
you know times are different uh things are kind of sexist and she's putting up with sexist behavior from the men that she's working with in particular uh one particular character who is played by nicholas burns who people will know as nathan barley he is just so good at playing those like idiotic smarmy men (laughs) and he plays it to perfection in this um so where things kind of get interesting is that we realize that enid suffered a trauma in her life and then that trauma and her reaction to it and her wondering about what's happened to this loved person or this loved one in her life make their way kind of into her world and into her mind as she is dealing with trying to watch these strange and weird films um, and along the way she meets people like Michael Smiley who's, who plays a really gross kind of film um, producer guy and you know like I feel like the film is less about the narrative than more about exploring the world of these films the impact that it has on somebody's mind but then not done in this like super psychological way but kind of just like in a almost in a fun way exploring all these really dark topics um it looks really beautiful um i mentioned suspiria there it's really got that kind of a vibe going on the kind of dario argento idea of like really you know bright colors um reds and greens and blues the lighting is really really great particularly in some of the scenes towards the end of it um you know it has great acting in it um it's quite like it reminds me a bit of barbarian sound studio which came out a a couple of years ago now and it's about um kind of related to this actually is about uh people who made sound effects for horror films and it's a really good film if if people haven't uh, haven't seen it so it has again that exploring the kind of squelchy gross sounds the particular look of horror films all that sort of stuff so i think that anybody who is a horror buff like yourself will really pick out specific things that are influenced by different films in this. Um, Neve Algar is really great. She plays, you know, Enid in a very restrained way. Um, and I, even though I didn't maybe love the ending to it um, narratively, I thought visually it was really cool and you did get um, a bit of satisfaction over out of what happens at the end, even if there are some questions left to it. Excellent. It's funny that you mentioned Suspiria there because I've seen the trailer for Censor and it did remind me of both Suspiria and the mood of it reminded me of a little of I, I know you've seen this film Saint Maud from last year yeah another another British film um which is really good I really like Saint Maud a lot it's, a, it's great isn't it um so going from all of those gross disgusting horror and you know people's heads exploding and stuff <laughs> to people's heads exploding in another way um so Bur- Bo Burnham is a comedian you know filmmaker he's a director writer he started off as a YouTube star when he was just a, a little small guy um back in 2006 I uh, went on to get hundreds of millions of views of his videos and his career kind of took off as a comedian he recently released Inside which you will definitely have seen mention of if you've spent any time on Twitter or reading any American culture online magazines or indeed uh, analogue magazines in the the last few months did you get a chance to watch Inside at all Lauren? No but again I've heard a lot about it and I've heard rave reviews of it so is it actually as good as people are saying? I loved this and I have to say I put it on not expecting to love this um Bo Burnham is someone who like I loved his work on eighth grade that was his first film that he directed a feature film I think we might have talked about it on the podcast mm. um it's you know it's about a young girl in eighth grade you know kind of starting early teens and about her life in the in the U.S. over a couple of months it's such an excellent film if you can get any chance to watch it I think it was on Netflix it might still be on there um do watch it marked him out as such a talent in that area um but in terms of his comedy i'd seen bits and bobs you know over the years and some of it just kind of wasn't like my thing for whatever reason um 
he maybe just wasn't somebody that I really followed um, but I was interested I suppose in him as a person because I, I knew that if he'd made this film there's something kind of going on there um, and so yeah I said look one night I was in on my own I was like I'll just put on this I've seen a couple of people talking about it I think it was only out a couple of days and uh, put it on and inside is the kind of conceit of it is that Bo Burnham is inside a house for um, a year you know during the pandemic year and that we watch him as his kind of mind and body and everything almost like deteriorates over that year and it's a series of songs it's basically like an album really with some spoken word bits and some kind of chat in between the songs particularly at the start when he's kind of setting it up but it's mostly musical and you know when I when I knew that it was going to be like that I really thought oh god like uh, like how am I going to sit through kind of like a musical like comedy dark comedy thing like what is this going to be like it's very hard to describe and make it sound really interesting you know maybe to, to some people but I absolutely was just captured by it um it's really funny really dark um really honest and I think he really goes to to lots of interesting places with it um it is like you know it's real and it's not real I've seen some reviews where they're almost like wondering how real it is or kind of like criticizing bits that aren't real enough but like you know I think if you're watching this it's clear like this guy actually in real life lives with his like you know girlfriend who is a director I'm sure they live in a lovely house somewhere like he didn't actually spend a year locked in a room in like a shed <laughs> or whatever you know I think people are getting a little bit confused about that um crucially though the songs are absolute bangers like have you yeah. heard any of the tracks from I actually from, haven't uh, Sp- no from it? haven't it's on Spotify and like they're like great they're like pop songs with great lyrics I mean some of the lyrics are like you know throwaway in a sense kind of like about Rick's you know there's a a song about ringing ringing his mom on FaceTime once a week or whatever and you know kind of poking fun at his mother um but there are other ones you know that might seem on the outside to be kind of throwaway there's one about like um Jeff Bezos and stuff but when you listen closely you get like that there's more stuff happening there than you actually realized um and he has a couple of songs towards the end as well that address the fact that he um used to have panic attacks and that's why he stopped um touring why he stopped being a stand-up comedian which was a really big part of his career this was his fourth um special his previous ones were like proper stand-up on stage specials um but he addresses that you know he's got a song called all eyes on me which is an absolute banger and it's clearly influenced by Kanye West who he also influenced on his last uh, stand-up set and it sounds amazing like it's just such a great song and and the lyrics are really kind of affecting and really do make you think about him and his thoughts on his career um so yeah, I mean, like, I just love this. I know that there are some people that might make fun of the whole Bo Burnham thing and that it might be a bit like basic or whatever, but I really think um, he's stepped up his career, you know, a level or two with this and it's very rewarding. And the fact you can go on Spotify and listen to all these great tunes afterwards is great. So yeah, Colour Me Surprised, um, that's Bo Burnham and Inside on Netflix. And I think if you've like a glass of wine or like, you know a can of beer or something like that while you're watching it it's probably even more crack <laughs> okay i'm definitely going to check that out i didn't actually realize he was the director of eighth grade i think we talked yeah. about that on our very first or <clears throat> one of our first get around to it all those years ago well, two years ago pre-pandemic that's mad yeah, yeah he wrote he wrote it and uh directed it. he's he was also in um promising young woman Did, i don't oh, think okay. we've talked about that in the podcast i have very complicated feelings in that film did you see it i didn't see it no I tell you we'll watch it in, on our next episode okay. we record, we'll talk about it because I I didn't really love it as much as a lot of the reviews loved it so I'm very curious curious about what uh, what people think I've been too um, busy lowering the tone watching stuff like Fear Street sorry 
<laughs> well look I mean we are broad church on get around to it we have no shame of, on you know on things so those are our films let's go to telly this st- series we're going to talk about now is one that we also talked about I think on one of our first episodes a long time ago at this point was it two years ago that the first series aired I think it was two years ago yeah I think it was I think it was two years ago and it's the series is this way up made by Ashley B and Sharon Horgan and both was loved the first yeah, season. Yeah, I really loved we? the first season. I, I remember what I loved. I actually didn't remember that much of the plot line when I went back to watch this new season, but mm. I remember what I loved the most was the rapport that they had. Like they actually yeah. seemed like real life sisters. They play sisters in this show and they seem like real life sisters and they just buzz off each other and they have a really good energy. And I think that follows through to this season as well. Yeah, in fact, I think it's almost like even better. But then again, I haven't I haven't seen the first season in, in two years or whatever. But I think it's almost even stronger like that. Uh, just the, the piss taking like and, you know, um, the dynamic that they have that they kind of take piss out of other people as well. And mm. they're just kind of messers, which I just really which I enjoyed. And they also just will say, you should up, no, you should up, you know, the stuff that like, as we both know, as we have sisters, you say yeah. a lot to your sisters. <laughs> um, but yeah, so for people who don't know about it, Ashling B stars as Anya, um, Sharon Horgan is Shona. They both live in London and Ashling B in the first season had what she described as a teeny little nervous breakdown and spent some time getting some kind of psychological help at a re- rehabilitation centre. So in the first season, she moved in with Shona and basically tried to kind of get back to her day-to-day life and uh, starts teaching um, a class of adult English language learners, meets new people, kind of kind of starts a relationship ish um, and just tries to kind of like have maybe a better life than she had before. But all the time is, try- is also dealing with her mental health, too. And she finds it very hard to talk about her mental health and its impact on her life. And that is like this thread that kind of is underneath everything or the river that runs underneath the series. So in the second series, um, Ashling is sharing a flat with the same flatmate that she had the last time. Um, Bradley, I think her flatmate um, is called and he's got a kind of a bigger role in this new series and he's great. I'm so glad to see kind of more of Bradley in this season. Um, Meanwhile, Shona is preparing for her wedding to Vish and she's trying to kind of put the back of her mind an affair she had with her colleague back in the first season and trying to kind of, you know, move forward with her with her relationship with Vish. But of course, this being um, this way up things get quite complicated I just thought this was such an excellent second series I mean they just again they took all the great stuff from the first series kept them and then just added even more great stuff to it their relationship is like you're saying the dynamics brilliant there's loads of um face acting in it did you notice that where like Ashling B makes these great facial expressions that you are betraying how she really feels when people when she's kind of dealing with people I don't know was that Mm. something you picked up yeah maybe um I think they're both really good actors I have to say right. I think Sharon Horgan kind of pips Ashling B not that it's a competition not a competition but, um I think Sharon Horgan is really great maybe because her character is a bit more has a bit more depth to her um like Ashling B's character like Anya is present like what we get of Anya but in terms of what we see is like kind of happy-go-lucky chatty woman hmm. whereas we know there's loads going on in the background but we maybe don't get that except for the occasional kind of you know moment where she's thinking about something and you can see her it kind of crossing her face I think mm. I haven't seen the whole series I've only seen the first four episodes you've seen the whole one so I'm interested to see how the rest of it pans out mm. I mean like it, the story is kind of at a crossroads for both of them at the moment so um in, in terms of their relationships 
And yeah. I think the last episode I watched their relationship with each other was kind of a bit strained as well. When Anya wants to start this new business and yeah. uh, she needs kind of Shona's help with it. And, you know, there's a reluctance there for some reason. But um, it's definitely like it's 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 definitely a very interesting series. And as much as there might be a few problems with it, like I might be being a bit nitpicky here. But in one of the episodes, one of the things that they, they lay on the Irish thing a little bit thick at, at some point. There was a Bowron produced during an episode. The Bowron. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking yeah. of. Yeah. I mean, I suppose like, I kind of, did, yeah, I kind of didn't feel like Shona would have learned to play the Bowron in real life. But maybe they're kind of, maybe they were told to put it into kind of yeah. to audiences yeah. outside of Ireland. No shade if they did. Maybe. And, you know, as much as I'm, as much as I'm being critical in that respect, it is so great to see not only a female-led comedy on a on a station like Channel Four, but an Irish female-led yeah. comedy. It's brilliant, and they're so both good. so good. It's, they're both so yeah. good and so talented. So good, and I do think, like speaking of that Irishness that we're talking about there, I mean, I kept wondering while watching it, like, what do American people like? What do American audiences think of this? What do UK audiences think of this? Because. Mm. The dynamic between the sisters and both their characters are so recognizably Irish, you know. Um, yeah. Like, I felt like looking at Ashling and the way she does, uh, sorry, Anya, should I say, um, Ashling's character and the way she is so self deprecating, she talks all the time. I was like, oh God, I do both of those things constantly. <laughs> um, and she has people who are really baffled by her behavior. But I recognize that not just in myself, but in loads of my friends. Um, and I think they pick up on those little kind of cultural things that we recognize in ourselves in, in the country of Ireland. Um, but at the same time, they're both so aware of, the, like they're so aware of the world around them and the London around them. And I loved that in... Um, this series where you got mention of Grenfell Tower, really moving moment about Grenfell Tower that is like mixed in with Anya's own kind of selfishness. And I really liked that about the series where they were both being like we all are self-absorbed and selfish, but they didn't lose that sense of their role um, in relation to the outside world and that they live in a London, a vibrant multicultural city. And that really comes through in these really lovely ways in the series. And I just really enjoyed that. Um I thought that was great. And uh, yeah, let's just say there'll definitely be a series three, um, both from a plot point of view and also like, because it's so good, I'm presuming that they're going to, they're probably writing it right now. Um, Excellent. Yeah, that's good to hear. So good. Yeah. And there's, there's one particular, there's one particular stuff kind of around mental health that's a more overt about mental health in this season. Um, and Anya's meant like kind of mental state that I thought was really, really heartbreaking and really well done. Um, yeah. So 10 out of 10 for this way up from me anyway love wow it. just love it cool yeah I've been enjoying yeah. it too um, the next season is Feel Good have you seen Feel Good at all it's on Netflix no I have not and I, I have to admit I don't know a thing about it so you're going to have to explain everything <laughs> so I didn't know anything about this either right Um, I think I saw like some reviews saying that it was really good on like The Guardian or something Um, and just one weekend I was like you know what I just kind of feel like some kind of comedy I'll throw this on on Netflix not necessarily expecting it to be brilliant it's so excellent Um, and I think it's a really good complimentary show to this way up even though it's really different to it I think they're like kind of in the same world if you get me it is set in London Um, it's written by Mae Martin the comedian along with Joe Hampson who's another comedian it's a semi-autobiographical story it's got two seasons Um, the first season 
wasn't recommissioned by the TV station it was on. So then Netflix picked it up for the second season, which is a very good idea. Um, May Martin plays May, who is a recovering addict and comedian, just like May Martin is in real life. Um, and in the series, May meets George, who is played by Charlotte Ritchie, a woman who goes to May's comedy show and they hit it off and they start a relationship and it's George's first time going out with a woman. So they kind of explore a lot of that. And May is a really interesting character because at the time May would have like identified as a woman and as the series goes goes on, identifies as non-binary. So you get a lot of stuff about like gender, sexuality, but it's like really bloody funny and they do it in such a kind of um, a self-aware way because like Mae Martin is very much like, you know, everything's really fluid in life. You know, um, people always think that May is a boy and that May is a lesbian, but May isn't and isn't and kind of talks with all those kind of things. So um, and does it in a really self-deprecating, very Canadian way. So it's just really, really sweet. Um, their love story is really lovely, but also like it's kind of troubled sometimes and because May has that like addictive personality in a way and George kind of maybe uses their relationship in a kind of an addictive way you're getting interesting dynamics there they constantly fuck up and do shit that they shouldn't do they're they're both complicated people everybody they meet's complicated and all the topics that they deal with are complicated like there's stuff in the second series around May's relationship with an older man when May was a teenager that could have been done in a very black and white way and it's actually like really explored in like a totally grey complicated way that is like I've never seen so done in such a layered way on the telly before mm. do you know what I mean so that is those are my two TV picks what have you got for us TV wise well once again I'm going to lower the tone because yours sounds quite um... it's bo- it's body it's body too don't, don't get me wrong <laughs> yeah <laughs> Okay, this series is definitely body um, and it's a TV program that I've heard mentioned countless times over the years and it's been running for years and years. I think it first aired in 2005, so like it has a cult following of, of sorts, but, but for some reason I just didn't bother with it. So it's it's always sunny in Philadelphia. It's a sort of show that like everybody's heard of by now because, you know, there are like yeah. 14 seasons of it. And I think that's one of the reasons that I was put off watching it because, you know, unless something's manageable for me, I'm like, I'm not I'm not investing 14 seasons worth of time in this show. Mm, but um, mm-hmm. it actually I'm burning through. I only started watching it a few weeks ago and I'm already on season four. So it's really easy, casual watch, but also really funny and sharp in parts. Um, so if you're not aware of it, basically the premise is this group of four friends who own an Irish bar called Paddy's in South Philadelphia. Dennis, um, who was played by Glenn Herriton, who is one of the co-creators with Rob McElhenney, who plays another character called Mac. Um, and Dee is Dennis's twin sister and their childhood friend, Charlie. So they, they form the gang and um, they kind of are all, in fairness, for a comedy show, are quite well-drawn characters. You know, like Mac is kind of this lovable sleazeball and Charlie is a bit of a, you know, lovable fuck-up and Dennis is just a, a complicated character. Um, and and Danny DeVito comes into it in season two as Dennis and Dee's legal dad. So um, so while some of the cast are unknown to me anyway before watching this, he is a recognisable face um, and he's really good as well. He's really funny. So it basically follows their various escapades. They're all kind of 
you know, horrible but hilarious characters in their own right. And they have this toxic sort of quality to their friendship and they'll like double cross each other at the first opportunity, but they always come back to the core gang as as they're called. Um, So, like I said, the whole 14 seasons are on Netflix and it's the sort of thing I would say to put on while you're eating your dinner in the evenings. If you're a telly watcher, like I'd put it in the same category as the likes of The Office. It's a really easy watch. The episodes are only 20 minutes long or so. One of the things actually I really liked about it was, and I can only speak for the early season because, as I said, I'm only on season four, is that it's actually quite risque with some of the comedy. I don't know if you'd get away with a lot of that stuff nowadays. Yeah. I don't know if you've even seen. It's so you, You've risque. seen it, right? I have, okay. yeah. I've seen it, yeah. And yeah, like, I mean, uh, as someone who frequently gets the piss taken out of her by her family over how sensitive and woke she is, so I was watching some of this, like, being like, oh mm. my god but they actually like they use really risky um offensive humor to actually make a point about people who are offense yeah. offensive like you know what i mean that they're they're doing it for a reason to highlight that this that's this is terrible that's true yeah but like you know like they have that they have an episode about like um is it it's not charlie it's uh mac wanting to uh, Mac going to a an abortion clinic while there are protests happening and then like going over to the other side so that he can date a girl yeah, I think yeah, who's yeah, yeah, yeah who's exactly. sort of thing like that's not really like if you do that wrong like you know what it's I mean like very, it but it's highlighting thin, how stupid yeah. he is like you know it treads um, a ter- very thin line for sure and you're right very. you know like and like I said they're all horrible people and they don't pretend to terrible. be terrible anything else yeah. so yeah. that does illustrate yeah. the point they're trying to make as well I mean, <laughs> they're the worst people in the world like they're the worst like any situation they're in right they'll do the least moral thing that you should do yeah. in that situation yeah like there's an episode uh, about dennis and d pretending to be mentally disabled basically in order to claim welfare and there's another yeah. one about d trying to seduce a priest at one point and you know <laughs> it very yeah. much straddles the line between hilarity and you know imminent cancellation so I'm interested mm. to hear from any from both you actually and any any listeners who've seen the whole 14 seasons about whether they think the humor has become diluted in subsequent seasons as you know as it became more successful. Do you think that it did? That's a good question because I actually I haven't seen up to season 14 at all. I've probably only seen maybe like full series up to about 5 or something mm. and then episodes up to maybe 10 or something so like I'm not really I'm not up to date on the new stuff and that would be I think that's a really good question because like I part of the reason why I really like watching it is because it's clear that it's set you know 15 years Mm. ago or whatever do you know when times were different um or like t I I mean in the tv world you know where like it's a certain style of sitcom or something you know from a certain era so I mean it still has massive amount of fans so I'm presuming not too much has changed although I do know some of the plot points of some of the characters kind of get a bit get a bit interesting D is the worst, I think. No, D, D, D and her brother, the twins yeah, are the worst. Dennis is horrible. Is in there like manipulative. Dennis is really manipulative. Um, but Mac is stupid and bad and Charlie's even yeah. stupider. Charlie's I my favourite. Charlie I, I yeah. really love, love I love Charlie. So cute. Um, love him. Um yeah, God, it's it's hard to describe, isn't it? I think you've done a really good job of describing it because it's like like nothing else I've ever seen. Yeah, it's it's it was complete it's completely different to what I was expecting, I have to say. I, I don't know like I don't know how well Americans do that short 
um, sitcom-y style comedy these days. Like there are a few notable exceptions, obviously, like The Office and stuff, which was uh, obviously based on the UK office. But, you know, for now, it's something I'm really enjoying and it ticks the, the funny box and it's sharp and it's witty without requiring a huge amount of, of time commitment. That's what I like about it. And, you know, it's been renewed for another four seasons recently too. So it's going to run for 18 seasons, which is a huge achievement in TV these days. I think it's going to make history as the longest running live action TV series in American TV history or something like that. It's going to break some sort of record anyway. So yeah, they're doing something right. What do you think it says that like a series like that, that's del- so deliberately offensive is the longest running series because when you think I think of like generally because I think when you think of other really long running American series or ones that are like maybe not even long running but really impactful in terms of like being super famous you think of like you know everybody loves Raymond or uh, the Big Bang Theory both like Big Bang Theory I absolutely hate and you know like there's something about Raymond just so kind of mild in terms of its humor so like the fact that they're they're getting away with doing this and being massive I think it's very interesting no it is definitely yeah that that's what I'm I'm curious to see how it pans out over the the course of seasons as it progresses because um I'm not sure how recently the first the last season was made, but in recent years anyway. So, you know, as as you mentioned earlier, woke culture has um definitely had an impact on a lot of cultural stuff over the last year. So we'll see whether it's always sunny in Philadelphia has escaped that or managed to work around it in some way it obviously has to an extent but um, yeah I suppose if they're if they're not once I feel like the key is always like with humor if you're not punching down like if you're punching down then it's you can't you know then it's not always acceptable do you know what I mean Mm. but if you're punching up or if you're punching at the character themselves yeah I think you can get away with it and I think that's kind of what they do that e- that because their characters are such terrible people and generally end up the worst for wear in all of their scrapes they're not actually punching down at people who have disabilities or at mm. people of colour um, their characters are such terrible people it's pretty obvious like that they are not to be followed <laughs> like exactly. and not what they're doing yeah. is bad they're not putting themselves on pedestals no um, it, unless you've something really troubling wrong with you <laughs> don't put them on pedestals <laughs> In terms of your own morals, what's the other series you've been watching? The other series is Very Different Prospect. Um, Again, it's a show that I watched a while back and realised for some reason I didn't talk about it at the time, but it's genuinely one of the best TV shows I've seen in probably the last five maybe ten years um it's called escape at danamora it premiered in 2018 but as far as i'm aware it's still on sky atlantic but if you don't have that try to get your hands on it however you can dvd box sets i don't know if dvd box sets are even still a thing but if they are try to get this on dvd box set whatever because it's genuinely superb and i haven't heard or read anybody else definitely not in ireland talking about it and um, which is crazy given the, how brilliant the whole thing is and the fact that it was directed by ben stiller what yeah ben stiller directed it cool he's yeah. directing he's he directed some film years ago at the start of his career that i couldn't believe he directed let me look that up uh, while you're we're talking about this so this is so where is dan amora and why where, what are they escaping from yeah so basically the plot line i guess it's based on a true story which makes the whole thing even matter and um, patricia arquette plays this woman called joyce mitchell who is this kind of down a heel middle-aged woman who worked at the clinton correctional facility in new york in Danamora, the American town of Danamora, it's kind of a deadbeat sort of, you know, hick, depressing town. And she runs the prison workshop 
firstly just an aside about Patricia Arquette like this is the best thing I've ever seen her in like she is superb absolutely superb and she's a brilliant actress anyway but she Mm. should have won every award going for this she is so brilliantly believable as this um kind of you know like I said, hick woman who is kind of in living this sort of deadbeat existence in a marriage with a man who worships the ground she walks on, but she basically treats him like a doormat. So she develops relationships with not one, but two convicted murderers in this prison, David Sweat and Richard Matt, who are played by Paul Dano and Benicio del Toro, who are also both absolutely brilliant. And, you know, of course, they're far from innocent in their intentions towards her because they're basically trying to seduce her to help her help them escape from this prison. Um, so it sounds like a very basic story, but it's very masterfully done. It's brilliantly directed by Ben Stiller. There's lots of twists and it's just so well written and so brilliantly paced. It's a little bit slow to start off with, but stick with it and it gets so, so good. It's genuinely one of those binge-worthy series that's up there with the best of them and seriously underrated and afterwards you can go down a google rabbit hole and find out what happened to them all in real life which is also fun uh joyce mitchell in particular has been very critical of it understandably because she's not painted in the best light in fairness um for her role in the whole shebang and you know she's accused ben stiller of just wanting to make millions off her and all this sort of thing um but the whole story is really fascinating and it's a brilliantly made it's there's only seven episodes as well so it's not a hugely long thing but if you can get your hands on it please you can thank me later it's called escape at dinamora and like i said i think it's still on sky atlantic it was until very recently anyway Amazing. I, I remember reading about the story, the case at the time. Um, there's some like you were saying there, there's some really good long reads and stuff out there about it. Mm. Um, and I'm not surprised that they made um, a series out of it because it's a wild story. Um, that sounds great. I'm well, that's a great review. I'm very, very much going to going to seek that out and watch it. Um, the film I was thinking about Ben Stiller was The Cable Guy. I hadn't realized that he directed The Cable Guy. Did he guy. direct that? I didn't know yeah. that either. Well. Yeah. There you go. Um, cool. So cool. And uh, yeah, Patricia Arquette, like she's just great in everything, isn't she? She's just such a great, great yeah, actress. She's brilliant. Excellent. Um, that's great. So I think, is that all of our TV done? Mm, you could tell we've mm-hmm. watched a lot of TV lately. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Loads of TV. This is too much good stuff out there. Um, so the next thing you're going to talk about is a book. And um, this book, is, I don't think I know anything about this book. So I'm very interested to hear about it, uh, especially because it's from a, an interesting era as well. Mm, I I didn't know this book existed until a couple of months ago. I think I saw someone, I can't even remember who, mention it on Twitter and it seemed right up my street from what they were talking about. Basically, it's a novel about a virus that ravages Earth and leaves small bands of survivors who are forced to basically reinvent their own communities or version of society, which is kind of, you know, very topical at the moment. Maybe not the, the latter part of that sentence but the first part definitely the virus ravage, ravaging the earth um, it's called Earth Abides it's by George R. Stewart and if you're into post-apocalyptic literature which I am and films uh, I, I, I've always had a fascination with that sort of genre I remember reading a book called Children of the Dust as a kid and was just absolutely fascinated by you know society breaking down and where the humans go and I know it's a, it's a slightly masochistic urge we have as humans I guess isn't it the same way that you know uh, when the pandemic started last year contagion and outbreak 
contagion and outbreak shot to the top of the Netflix charts. Yeah. But um, despite the, you know, depressing subject matter, let's face it, I actually really enjoyed this book. And what I found interesting was that it was set in the 1940s and it was published in 1949. And while a lot of it is very much of its time, I mean, the terminology that George R. Stewart refers to, you know, black people as as one point at one point in the book and there's a few dodgy passages in that vein and just how kind of women are portrayed and stuff like that a lot of it is still also quite relevant uh, apparently also it was Jimi Hendrix's favorite book and one of the inspirations for for Stephen King's The Stand so yeah I guess I should talk about what it's actually about um it opens with this scene with the protagonist, whose name is Isherwood Williams, a.k.a. Ish, who is a geography student. I think he's meant to be in his early 20s, who has just been bitten by a rattlesnake in the Californian mountain wilderness. And he struggles back to his cabin and somehow manages to survive this bite. But when he emerges from this really feverish sickness a, a day or two later and he drives to the nearest town he notices that everything seems eerily quiet and abandoned and he eventually pieces together what's happened after meeting various other survivors here and there that the world has been ravaged by this virus and the people who have survived have all reacted in very different ways so he decides to return home to his family home in Berkeley in California to figure out what to do. And we kind of follow his story through the decades after that. He bands together other people and they form their own society or community and they learn how to live when, you know, like things like the water supply fails and electricity runs out and they have kids and grandkids, etc., etc. Um, So what I found really interesting about this book was that it followed the story through decades really until Ish is an old man. And I liked it because a lot of these post-apocalyptic books and stories only focus on the immediate and, you know, what happens in maybe the year or two after the event. But this one spans decades and we see what happens to Ish and the community as, you know, and new generations are born into this new normal. God, I'm sorry, so sorry to use that phrase. I'm sick of it. But, you know, and, and what happens as outsiders come into their groups, there's, there's echoes of so many other stories about human nature and the ugly side of human nature, like Lord of the Flies in there. And, you know, while I, th- there is outdated terminology for sure, it's also quite daring in a lot of ways. For example, for example, the woman that eventually becomes Ish's de facto wife was mixed race in the book at a time when, you know, interracial marriages were very much frowned upon in American society. So while, yeah. it, you know, it's not a perfect book by any means, and it did admittedly take me a while to get into the story because it's quite slow to start. If you're into those kinds of stories, this one is a little bit different and I think it's worth investigating and, you know, it'll also make you feel better about our current collective predicament, i.e. at least, you know, society hasn't collapsed yet anyway. So yeah, that is Earth Abides by George R. Stewart. Brilliant. That sounds so great. I, I love a post-apocalyptic mm. novel. So I do. Uh, have you ever read, ever read Station Eleven? Yes. Oh, Emily yes. oh, St. John Mandel, uh, right? Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. So good. So good. Just, yeah, you can't, uh, you can't be, can't be that. Um, brilliant. Especially one that's like, I may, I wonder if there was there kind of, there must be in specific times in literature that there are like trends around post-apocalyptic stuff, especially around like the era of like, um, uh, 
nuclear power or sorry not nuclear power but like you know uh, I mean you're talking there he's talking post second world war so mm. like post Hiroshima so you yeah. ma- I'd imagine that sort of stuff was um on his mind exactly. when he was writing that yeah. book um, I read a, I read a book from a similar era um, by Neville Shute um, I think it's called On the Beach and um, it's uh, it's pre-apocalyptic because it's about the world people knowing the world is about to end in <laughs> Australia um, and uh, yeah it's called On the Beach from 1957 but I suspect he was probably okay. influenced by George R. Stewart a bit there in, in what he was doing um, so it's interesting this week this month should I say uh, that we're both going for books that are mm. very old books because um, my book that I've chosen is from 1982 and it's called Mrs. Caliban. Have you heard of this book at all? No, but I looked it up when you said you were going to mention it. And it, it reminds me of a, a film that might be influenced by it. But please yeah. go on and explain what it's about. I think I think you're I think you're probably right there. Um, So this is written by Rachel Ingalls and it came out in 1982, as I said, called Mrs. Caliban. Um, the name Caliban, I think originally was in Shakespeare. But anyway, I digress. Um, This is a novella and... Uh, a couple of years ago, I was on the way to a trip in New York. Remember, we could go on holiday abroad mm. um, with my friend Kim and I was reading The New Yorker on the plane. And they, you know, we, those times you actually do get to read <laughs> The New Yorker, which is when you're like on a plane or somewhere. Uh, it's not piling up in a pile <laughs> underneath uh, the post in the house. Um, and they had an article about this author called Rachel Ingalls, who I got mixed kind of mixed up with another author um who wrote Little House on the Prairie initially when I saw her name and then realized oh actually it's not it's not that author at all so um Rachel Ingalls actually died um I think that week by complete coincidence uh she was 78 when she died so I discovered that I think when I got off the plane and and googled uh googled her and this book is considered one of her kind of best best known best known books. She wrote about eleven um, books altogether. This is a novella. It's about a woman called Dorothy who's at home one day doing her chores in her house. Um, it's very much that kind of nineteen fifties suburban housewife vibe going on. Um, waiting for her pretty useless husband to come home from work, and she starts hearing all these weird. So she's thinking about how she's she's been recently hearing lots of weird ads on the the radio, and she suspects that like maybe she's the only person hearing them you know and then she hears this announcement about a monster having escaped from the institute for oceanographic oceanographic research um near her home and she thinks okay maybe that's like one of those weird things that i kind of keep hearing on the radio and not long after that uh somebody appears at her doorway and that that person is the monster who has just escaped from the institute for oceanographic research and the book follows um her relationship with this creature and it's such a great novel it sounds completely mad but it's just lovely it's really sad like this sad stuff that dorothy has gone through in her life she's lost her son he was ill her husband's useless um she's kind of trapped in her life her best friend you know is kind of going through her own dramas and always going on about them to her but the sea monster called Larry is one of the nicest people kind of in her life. Um, and it's just such a great book. It's it's like, you know, you are wondering what's real, what's fantasy. That's not necessarily ever really answered, I suppose, to a certain extent. Um, and I was just so taken by this book. I went and bought it when, when I was on holiday and uh, read it again recently for a book club and it then discovered that it's actually being reissued Um 
uh, by Faber and Faber, I think. And so that should be it very soon. There'll be a new reissue with a lovely, a lovely new cover on it and everything. I didn't really like the cover of the one that I got. Um, but yeah, so keep an eye out for it, Mrs. Caliban. She has another book that was also reissued called Binstead Safari, which I didn't love as much, um, but I got that as well. Um, it still was also kind of bizarre and involves a, a lion that might actually be a man. So, you know, <laughs> clearly Rachel Ingalls is into kind of weird stuff. And I suspect or assume that... Um the Shape of Water is was influenced I'm, by at least in part whether Guillermo del Toro admitted it or not. That I'm, sounds I'm presuming very similar it was plotline. right because like it's exact it's very similar with a woman falling in love with a sea creature and stuff. So like it has to be. Um, and sorry, it's mm. Faber editions that are yeah. uh, releasing that new version of it. So, um, so yeah, and I think there's some other. There's another similar cultural thing that has a very similar story as well. But uh, I mean. Uh, oh yeah, sorry, The Pisces is what I'm thinking of. There's another book that came out a few years ago called The Pisces that's very similar and very naughty uh, <laughs> scenes in that. Naughty, it's a weird word. Uh, very risque uh, scenes involving the sea creature in uh, in The Pisces if you're into that sort of thing. If you're into that sort of thing, you're very strange. I don't know if I want people who are into that sort of thing listening to our podcast, Eva. <laughs> sorry i've just tempted yeah. them in there with my uh my love stories about sea monsters you know sure you know what can you do um so let's round off the the pod with some music and i'm dying to hear your review of this record which i believe you're probably one of the lucky few who've been allowed to listen yes to so far. i was lucky enough as you said to hear it very early even though it's not released until august 20th because i interviewed connor o'brien for the sunday times a while back and you know i'm gonna take this as a win because there are few and far between the privileges for music journals these days so getting an early listen of an album like this is definitely um a bonus um it's called fever dreams it's villagers fifth album and i don't say this lightly because i've been a big villagers fan since the start but i think it might be their best yet it's one of those albums i just immediately loved and have enjoyed it even more every time i've gone back to it and and that's only happened i think a few times over the last year last few years because you know listen to a lot of albums and instantaneous connections are for me anyway um rare I, I remember I had one the first time I listened to John Grant's Queen of Denmark and the first time I listened to Father oh, John yeah. Misty's I Love You Honey Bear and this one is up there with them yep. for me not that it's a similar sounding album although it's not completely different either but it just has that same lush immediacy that I, I, I absolutely love. Um, and it's slow burning in a lot of ways, but it's also really immediately gratifying. And I know that might sound contradictory, but I guess what I mean by that is that mm-hmm. there are hidden depths that you kind of hear more with every listen. It felt like Conor O'Brien really turned a corner with his last album, The Art of Pretending to Swim. Like it, that felt to me a little bit freer and it felt like he was less constrained by the label of, you know, cerebral folk pop genius sort of thing and that's probably something he'd agree with himself Mm. this one again takes a few more risks Uh, it's not quite experimental but it does get a little bit weird in parts like the scratchy intro of that the the first single that was released um the first day and the the new single so simpatico sounds like this lush 70s orchestral song that someone like gilbert o'sullivan could have sung back in the day so there's, there's lots of beautiful and, and really evocative imagery in the lyrics. 
a song called Song in Seven that's gorgeous. That was inspired by a, a, a late night sea swim under the stars um, when he was playing a festival in Holland. And there's another really gorgeous, simplistic song called Full Faith and Providence that fans of stuff like fans of his earlier stuff, I guess, like um, maybe stuff like from Becoming Jackal um, will really like. Uh, so it's one of those albums, I think, that hits every mark for me. I love the kind of slow burning indie folk pop music villagers make anyway but it's definitely one of my favorite albums of the year so far so I can't wait for everybody else to hear it and hopefully agree with me it's out on August 28th and it's called Fever Dreams can't wait to hear that um I feel like I'm quite late to villagers even though they've been like a big band for Ireland for quite a number of years but like I only properly started listening to them in the last couple of years and was just like kind of blown away with what I'd missed you know what I mean Mm. He's a great songwriter and yeah. I think he's getting better and better yeah. with every single album. So Brilliant. Um, so what date again can we expect that out? August, did you say? August 20th, the 20th of August. That's great. Well, there we go. We had a big long list of, of stuff there for people. So I think we've got everything from comedy to horror, music, books, film, TV. We've got you sorted there for mm-hmm. a few weeks of entertainment. And if you are still stuck after listening to that then please go back and listen to our very long back catalogue of Netflix recommendations of stuff we loved from all over the years um, on our previous episodes and the reason why we're pointing you back to those is why Lauren? Well we will be taking a short hiatus to deal with some busy life stuff that we both have going on but we will be back very soon with more TV and books and films and all cultural stuff for you to get around to and um, in the meantime do feel free to get in touch with us we're always open to recommendations we will be checking our social media and emails and um, if you want to hear us cover something in particular then get in touch we are always open to suggestions. Yeah, definitely. Uh, So just a wee little short hiatus and looking forward to getting back behind the mics and I might even get to meet up in person (laughs) for our our next our next episode that we record. But yeah, we've so much there for people to check out. So I don't think we're leaving anybody short of recommendations over the next few months. And if you liked any of the old episodes and kind of stuff that we talked about, please do let us know what you liked because there's so many so many things we kind of cram in. You sometimes forget what we've actually talked about. So and there's bound to be lots of recommendations in there that you will like. Yes, and we're on Twitter at getaroundto underscore. We're getaroundtoapod at gmail.com. And our Instagram handle is also getaroundtoapod. So do get in touch. Do. And thanks as always to everybody who tunes in to every episode. You know who you are. Um, we really appreciate it. Appreciate all the support. And we're looking forward to having you listening next time. In the meantime, have a great couple of months. Talk to you soon. Bye bye.